Hello, welcome back to the EDM podcast. It's Sam Matler here, your host. And if you've ever wondered whether it's possible to build a career in music without touring constantly, then you'll want to listen to today's episode. It's with James Ruhlman. Some of you may know him as Mutrix, but he also has three other aliases. Uh, he started out touring in a metal band at a very young age, and then they kind of split up and he went to college to study music business. And then he set up this uh, Mutrix project, which was dubstep uh, quite a while back during that kind of peak. He found himself touring again uh, very quickly and enjoyed that, but ultimately was looking toward a more sustainable career, uh, not wanting to have to tour his whole life. Because not that I've done it, but from what I've heard and who I've talked to, uh, touring is hard. You're on the road a lot, you're traveling. Um, tour life you know definitely upsides to it but to do it for 20 30 40 years or a whole lifetime takes its toll and so not every artist wants to do that in fact very few do Um, they want to have more sustainable careers long term so now he supports himself by doing client work and also through sync licensing which we talk about in depth in this interview it's a great income stream for producers if you have no idea what sync licensing is Uh, well, we talk all about that, so keep listening. We also talk about teaching at Icon Collective. He is a teacher at Icon. He has been for eight or nine months now. Uh, So we talk about that, what he's learned through doing that, some of the challenges. We talk about the common struggles that he sees producers face uh, being a teacher. And before he was a teacher at Icon, he did a lot of tutorials on YouTube. Um, And finally, we talk about the not-so-fun parts of the music industry. Uh, which he kind of discovered during touring with the metal band and also in the electronic music world. I really enjoyed recording this interview, so I hope you enjoy listening. If you do, head on over to edmprod.com forward slash iTunes and leave a rating and review. That is edmprod.com forward slash iTunes. And you can find the full show notes for this episode, all the links, all the stuff, all the things at edmprod.com forward slash 83. That is edmprod.com forward slash 83. Now, one more thing to plug because these are not getting enough attention. Connor has been grinding away at these track breakdowns. Basically, what he does is he takes a popular song. Often these are done by request. He takes a popular song and he analyzes the theory and arrangement behind the chords, the melody, and then he posts it as an article. Most of these track breakdowns are over 2,000 words, they're lengthy, they're in-depth and people are loving them, can learn a lot from them, apply these techniques to your own music. You can check all these out, there's about nine of them so far. We've done songs from artists like Cashmere Cat, Medicine, Artie, Uh, so make sure to check these out. You can go to edmprod.com forward slash TB, just TB the letters, uh, to find all of those. Anyway... Without further ado, here is James Ruhlman. Enjoy the interview. This episode of the EDM Podcast is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is a comprehensive online course that helps new producers master the fundamentals of electronic music production by making four songs in four weeks. It is made by yours truly, And we've had over 950 students take the course. Many of them have had great results. Get 10% off EDM Foundations by using the code PRODCAST, that is P-R-O-D-C-A-S-T, at checkout. Again, just head to edmfoundations.com and use code PRODCAST at checkout. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by James Ruhlman. Is that how it's pronounced? Your last name? Yeah. Yeah. You did a good, you did a good job. A lot of people mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> what do they say? What are some of the uh, oh, man. pronunciations you get? Relman, Rahelman. The, the, I think the H really throws people off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's German. Similar it's, to me, I always always get Malta. Sam Malta is, is Matler. Oh yeah, the T goes before the L. But fifty percent of the time, you know, Sam Alter. 
Yeah. <laughs> At least it's not hard to spell back to people. You can, mine gets butchered all the time. I had to change my email address. So. <laughs> Okay, so you do a ton of stuff. Uh, you teach at Icon. You have like four artist aliases. You've had music featured in trailers. Did I miss anything there? I mean, that's yeah, that's a that's a bit of it. Yeah, mixing for other people and wow, yeah, working with other artists, writing with other artists, just a bit of it all. Yeah. Okay, so I will ask at some point how you managed to do all that. That's crazy. Uh, but <laughs> let's go all the way back to the start. You started off professionally playing in a metal band, um, but what made you get into music in the first place? Because it's not like that was, you just woke up one day and started playing in the metal band and touring. Uh, how did you get into music initially? I mean, as long as I can remember, I've just been you know, super obsessed with music. Um, I don't come from a musical family, interestingly enough. Um, Hmm. No one in my family really plays an instru instrument. My mom played a little bit of accordion actually when she was younger, but yeah, even my extended family, like aunts and uncles and stuff, like not, no one really, you know, didn't grow up around it. It was just something that I just always was super passionate about. And, um, I was like that kid in middle school that was always, you know, finding like the cool new artists and everything. And that evolved into uh, me playing guitar into high school and getting into bands and, you know, going into a band when I was like 19 and signed to a label and touring and all that stuff. What was that like? Like at 19? Yeah. I mean, it was, that was the dream. Uh, and it was also an awakening at the same time of, of how brutal the industry can be. And, you know, you have this vision when you're in high school of, you know, just, Oh, if your band gets signed and you go on tour, like you have it made and you quickly realize, especially in the metal scene, or like, you know, anything when you're a band, unless you're, you know, Imagine Dragons or some kind of mainstream band like that, when you're splitting income five ways and with a manager and with a booking agency, um, there's just not a whole lot in that. <laughs> but uh, it, it was a great way for me to, it was a great introduction for me into the music industry. Um, yeah, in so many ways. What do you mean by the, the industry being brutal? I don't know much about the metal scene. Yeah, the metal scene, especially like hardcore and, you know, it's it, being a niche genre where there's you really your only income is coming from live shows. Mm. It's a it's a grueling lifestyle where, you know, when I started touring as a DJ, I was like, I felt like I was cheating mm. <laughs> because when you're in a band, you know, you have to drive everywhere because you have a drum set and you have guitar amps and not only that, but you have to load in, <laughs> you know, when you load, lo there's not even a thing as loading in as a DJ, unless, you know, your excision or, or some headliner and you've got like your, your whole like lighting setup. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's one thing, but at that point, you know, you're, you're living the life on a tour bus, but, uh, you know, as a band, you know, you have to load in your amps and guitars. You have to get to the venue at, you know, two or three o'clock every single day. And then you got to drive to the next one. And, you know, you're, oh, you're, 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 you, take off you take shifts on who's driving and you know a lot of overnight driving a lot of sleeping in parking lots in the van and mm. it's uh <laughs> like it, unless you're you know big enough to afford a a tour bus band life is 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 can be brutal but I, at the same time you know i absolutely loved it for sure so how did you transition then you're playing in this band how did you transition from that to getting into music production was it like a, a gradual thing or did you wake up one day and have a an epiphany it was it was a gradual thing for sure um you know like i said touring the band was kind of an awakening for me you know as i was in high school my dream was just to play in a heavy you know just a metal band with like really technical guitar riffs and everything and i realized mm -hmm. that there's like definitely a ceiling for that lifestyle and i didn't want to be um reaching a point in my life where um i wanted to have a family or, or a stable income it's just really hard to do that in a in a heavy band like a, a really like hardcore which my band was real we like deathcore death metal thrash metal that kind of mm -hmm. stuff so you know there's only a couple bands like lamb of god that have really um <laughs> there's there's no middle class there essentially is what i'm saying but um for me, one of the things I found is I, I always move forward with my music and I always have to be trying new things and doing new things and learning new um, production techniques or instruments to play. And I just kind of like felt like I'd reached a ceiling with metal and um, 
mm. you know, as my band, we all, we all kind of came to that realization. And, and as we you know stopped touring, we kind of like disbanded uh, professionally. So it was like, it was a mutual thing. It wasn't like you kind of leading everyone down. No, yeah, no, no. We all decided we, we were all in the same space. Like, um, you know, I had just finished my freshman year of college when we went on tour and the other guys, um, you know, some, we were all 18 and 19. So either I'd just finished a year of college or just coming out of high school. Uh, we were all, uh, had some kind of college plans and, you know, we, we, we got to tour with some of our icons and, and play with some of our, you know, the guys that, you know, were my heroes, you know, and we talked to them about what that lifestyle was like. And, you know, they'd been doing it for some of them five, 10 years. And we were, we all just kind of felt the same way. Like, all right, we've kind of lived our dream, but long-term this isn't where we want to be. Hmm. And, but I, I, you know, obviously I continued down the route of, of making music. And, um, like I said, I, I love trying new things and really what got me into producing was being in the van, um, traveling every single day we were you know four hours a day at least you spend on the road going to the next venue and i started making beats in garage band on my laptop at that point um <laughs> and really as i started to get out of my metal phase i kind of entered like a, a hip-hop phase and making hip-hop beats and pop beats and instrumentals and learning about that and it was just to me, it was very liberating because I had just been writing metal and just doing metal for so long where you're limited to guitar, bass, and drums. And, you know, when I got to experiment with like other instruments and I could, it was like, I could put synthesizers and all kinds of cool sounds and everything. It was very liberating as a creative. And that's kind of what opened the door to me to get into production and, and songwriting and everything. Right. And so you were, you went back to college after the band kind of disbanded for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're producing alongside studying. I mean, what were you studying? Music business. I was going to college at Belmont at the time in Nashville, which is a, a pretty well-known music business school where they have a, a, a well-known music business program at the school. Um, and yeah, it's in Nashville. Uh, th that program didn't really fit me. Uh, and I transferred to Columbia uh, in Chicago, Columbia College, which is another pretty right. well-known music business program. And I really liked the program there. But yeah, I dropped out. I started college. I dropped out to tour and then went back to college. And then I dropped out again to work at this hip-hop studio in Atlanta. <laughs> and that didn't really pan out. And I you know, realized I wanted to finish my degree. And then I, after dropping out twice, I I transferred to Columbia and I finished my degree in music business at Columbia College in Chicago. And what happens then? You'll finish your degree. So and, you know, yeah, Chicago is where I got into dance music and everything. And that was around 2010, 2011, where, you know, heavy bass music was really starting to pop mm -hmm. off and, you know, Skrillex was blowing people's minds. And, you know, that for me, uh, my roommate, I remember the first time that I heard Skrillex and, you know, I'd, I had no idea what dubstep was yeah, or yeah. anything. Um, at that time I was really into like electronic pop stuff. Like I was, Ellie Golding was, this, it was a big influence on what I was producing at that time. But I, you know, I still have my heart in heavy music. And I remember I was, I was in the shower and I heard my roommate listening to the, uh, uh, going in for the kill remix by LaRue. Uh, the Skrillex remix of the LaRue oh, song. Yeah, yeah. Classic. And it has that formant, uh, like, mm. and I was just like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I got out of the shower and I, I still had a towel on. And I was like, dude, what are you listening to? That is so sick. And I, after that, it was, it was like game over. I was like, I had to make this, this blend of like incredible sonic power and musical aggressiveness that, that just like really resonated with me. And, I got into dubstep and it was kind of game over from there. Yeah. So you're making a few tracks and you're putting out tutorials on YouTube, uh, which I think is, is a big part of the beginning of Mutrix. Yeah, no, yeah. It was like a year later when I started the YouTube channel and right. I, I had no, I didn't know anything about this electronic music industry. I, all I knew was I had, I knew a lot of people in the metal scene and the hardcore scene and like the, 
the warp tour scene and everything but i didn't know anybody from in electronic music and i was like how do i make some connections or like i don't even know how mm-hmm. to how's my music even going to get out there and uh at the same time i, I had a, a big passion for helping people learn and you know when i was in college when i was taking some music production courses um i, I had helped out a, several students in my class and uh, i'll never forget you know my one friend his name was junior and shout out dj juicy but uh he he told me he's like dude you're really good at teaching and and like helping out he's like you put things in a way that like it's really easy to understand and that was like the first time i was like maybe i i am good at this so uh you know i i was i started the the youtube channel because i liked teaching and at the same time i wanted a way to to reach people and youtube is as um an interesting platform where people can find your stuff when they're not looking for it. Uh, if you, if you tag things yeah, correctly, yeah. uh, you know, it's very like Facebook is not that way. Um, SoundCloud isn't really that way. And I was like, well, you know, if I no, I don't know anybody to promote stuff. So if I make some, some things that, and I use the right words and tag things correctly, then people will find, uh, hopefully find my videos and think that I'm cool. And, uh, you know, I'll sneak some of my clips of my music in there. And this is, this is before the tutorial scene was, was way oversaturated as well. So it'd be much more difficult mm-hmm. to build a fan base that way today. Um, but yeah, I, I was, my focus was quality tutorials and, uh, you know, I, w- the way that it worked out for me was that people were really, uh, grateful for my tutorials and, and the quality of them. And, uh, they trusted me because I would put in my music and say, here's how I use this sound in my music. And, then, and there's a lot of guys who make tutorials and then you hear their music and they're like, all right, he has no idea really what he's doing, but he can make this sound. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel like um, what gained my my fans and my audience really trusted me because they could hear that my um, I could incorporate what I was teaching them into music that they enjoyed. So uh, you know, once I had about 5,000 or so subscribers on YouTube is when I started releasing my own music and people were more than happy to support my music and to share it and be excited about it and support me as an artist because I had given so much to them through YouTube. So it was really a uh, a relationship that, that benefited both parties and uh, helped me really build a grassroots um, fan base that was really passionate about my stuff. Was there a moment, because obviously with that project you ended up touring, was there a moment that kind of switched things into gear? Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there, there were several moments and, you know, I started really picking up momentum. I remember one of the big things was when uh, dubstep.net posted one of my tracks. And if you can remember back to 2012, uh, when when dubstep.net was like, you know, if your if your stuff got on dubstep.net, it was dubstep.net was SoundCloud, essentially, like, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they they kind of helped, you know, for better or for worse, um, kind of create some of the rules of SoundCloud, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. But um, those guys are great over there, Ethan and um, and everybody in, involved in, in in that network, and they've all gone on to do you know, great things with, with their projects. But, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a huge catalyst for me is when they posted my stuff on, on there. And then, you know, it, it kind of over, opened up the floodgates to more YouTube channels, posting things. And, um, you know, I had developed that relationship with them. So then whenever I would release something, you know, I'd, I'd give it to them, they throw it up on the SoundCloud and it was, this was before repost <laughs> it was a feature. So they would upload everything and then people would go and click on my link and follow me from there. But that was a big catalyst for sure. Right. I, I really want to get onto some advice because I know you've got some for those listening, but uh, I'm curious as to why, you know, you're, you're touring with Mutrix and then a couple of years back, you take a step away from all of this. Why did you do that? Because it's, you talked about the ceiling and so on with, you know, and the metal band, um, and you also said that it's kind of felt like cheating as a DJ. And I understand that. And and some people, there are people out there who can just tour and play shows constantly. I, Skrillex is one of them. That guy is a machine. He's an, he's, he's unbelievable, man. 
not yeah, just his energy and his creative powers unreal so some people can just do that for for decades and you can see that a lot of other people uh are, let's say wise enough to not run themselves into the ground i've got a few friends who made conscious decisions to not do that forever because they knew what it would end up doing to them so what made you step away from it all yeah there's there's several things um one being i was just i I was so over kind of making club music and dubstep. Um, you know, it'll always have a special place in my heart, but you know, I kind of reached a point as the same with metal where I was just like, I wanted to, I felt very restricted creatively. It was like, um, you know, intro, build up, drop, build up, mm. drop, outro. It's, and it was just like, can you not, you, you, you kind of, due to the nature of how the music is performed, you're, you're kind of very restricted to that, that, um, structure. And even more restricting is, is, is you have to, that's be 140 BPM or 174 BPM. Um, now, you know, dubstep's moved into like 150, but regardless, it, it, it's just like, I, I've, I have more as an artist and as a, someone who's creative to give than, than just to be, restricted to that. And I just really, when I stepped away from it, I was, um, I had a lot going for me, but I, I just felt exhausted as an artist. And at the same time I was, I was thinking long-term and I was thinking, you know, 10 years from now, do I want to be in my mid thirties and, you know, be touring clubs and, and relying on that for my main income? Or do I want to try and develop a career where I can, you know, stay in LA and not have to travel constantly and be working on music, which I love. And so, um, yeah. And there, there was a lot of other things too, as well with, with my, um, my management at the time and, and kind of where I was at as an artist. And there, there was, there was just so many things and I, I really feel like I, I made the right choice for me personally um, to step away from the touring life and, and start to figure out other avenues to um, make money and, and, and create a living for myself while doing what I was most passionate about, which is music. So, Gotcha. So there are a ton of producers listening to this who don't like the idea of touring full time. Maybe they have a family or it's just not really their thing, doesn't suit their personality. Uh, what advice would you give to them if they want to pursue these different income streams like you have done. And in fact, I didn't really ask you that. What, uh, how are you supporting yourself now that you're not touring? I'm sure a lot of people are wondering. Right. Um, I do like, you know, kind of mentioned it before I've got my hand in a bunch of different things. And when I teach music business, this, this is what I, what I tell every student is you can't, and this is a mistake that I made when I started off touring. Cause I was, I was, I was just said, my, my revenue is just going to be from, from live stuff. And I'm just going to make a living like playing live shows. And that's just, that's going to be my goal. You got to set up at least, I say at least three different revenue streams for yourself to be making money. Look at the guys that are established, like, uh, like Skrillex or like a track or Diplo. Like look at all the different revenue streams. These guys have, they have, um, they're playing shows. Some of them are doing their own festivals where they're, you know, they're the promoter. You know, that's, that's again, that's another thing that's, that's popped up recently, but most of them have a, a clothing line, right? Most of them have a label that they're, uh, you know, collecting royalties and, and doing events or all kinds of stuff with, um, you know, there, you can't just rely on one thing, especially like selling music. You know, a lot of people, I see in my music business class, like, oh yeah, I just want to make a living off of like royalties off of getting plays on Spotify. Yeah. You can make a, a few bucks doing that, but you know, you really got to expand more than that. Um, so, you know, there's merch, there's um, creating a label, doing live shows. Uh, and the biggest thing that has just really opened up the world for me is sync licensing, which, um, a lot of producers aren't even familiar with, and I wish I would have known about years ago. So when you hear the term sync license, it's S-Y-N-C. Um, we're talking about synchronizing music to a visual source. So that could be a video game, a commercial, a TV show, a movie, uh, a trailer, 
anything like that that's going to be a sync license and you just think about everything that has music to it <laughs> ads on you five second ads on youtube um commercials on the radio com- every car commercial every insurance commercial everything that's on tv it all has music and somebody has to get paid to make that music or to use that music mm. and you know i fa- i started talking to some of my friends that i met here in la a few years ago and uh decided to you know really explore what you know what sync licensing has to offer me as a producer and, and it's that's my main source of income is that and that's that's passive income that's mm. me spending a, a few weeks making a ep um or making five or six songs that i'm really um you know in a style that i really enjoy and then finding a platform to monetize that um and basically it goes into an online library and people that are looking for music to license they they find that and i get paid <laughs> so it you know it's it's making money in my sleep and that is that's that's changed my life honestly <laughs> i love that are there certain types of music that people are looking for companies are looking for directors or could it be anything you really there's it's it's anything it's anything mm. and that's why i say um you know i'll make something that i really like because if if you're doing it like and th- and there are guys that that they oh i'm going to make an album like this i'm going to make an album like this and certain styles but for me it has to be something that i'm passionate about because if i'm just making music that i don't care about and I, i'm not into um just for the sake of making money with it then it becomes like a job um mm. and and i've done projects like that before um a job where it's not fun you know and the mm. the important thing for me is isn't always to maximize profit but it's it's to work on what i'm passionate about and so i say that um you know the the projects that i've done and i've been able to be really successful with in the licensing world are f- genres of music that i'm very passionate about and that i really enjoy making so that it's it's fun the whole way through it's not it's never like a drag like you know oh i got to make a song like this in this genre today so that's uh yeah there's not anything specific that and uh, of course different trends come and go and you know right now um you know hopefully like one of my projects is is kind of like a retro like synth wave thing and there's that movie ready player one that just came out and um there's a lot of people saying that that's going to be there's going to be a lot of demand for like synth wave music for uh for film because that's kind of going to set the trend for a lot of movies and and stuff and same with stranger things like uh Stranger Things came out and that was all the rage that that whole soundtrack was all analog synths and very um, retro feeling so you actually had a synthwave track synced to a trailer didn't you did yeah I had um, one of my tracks in the trailer for the disaster artist with James Franco and Seth Rogen and yeah oh my gosh man Uh, that was that's so freaking cool I was looking forward to that movie um for months after I saw the initial like teaser trailer. And then when I got a call from um, my licensing agency, they, and they said, Hey, just let you know, um, your tracks being considered for the trailer for the disaster artist. I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I was like, no way. It's almost like, you know, one of those things where it's like, I, I like visualized it into reality. Uh, you know, you hear people talk about that, and I've been a, f- a huge fan of the Room and Tommy Wiseau, and that whole. Uh, if you're familiar with the Room, that the cult following that that movie has, I've been a fan of that for ten years, uh, or almost ten years. I, I think the first time that I saw the the, the movie or went to a screening was in like 2009. So when I heard James Franco was making a movie about mm. about that, I was I was super excited. And then when they I got the call that my song was being considered for the trailer and then i got the call that it was confirmed it was going to be in the trailer i kind of lost my mind and yeah no, it was insane but yeah that that's that's a you know that's that was a good check and in trailers especially trailers are, are one of the best things that you can get your music placed into because um there's such a big budget for the marketing of the movie and so much of the success of the movie comes from the trailer and so uh, music supervisors have a much bigger budget to work with when it comes for 
to theatrical trailers and, and movie trailers more usually more so than you know a a 30 second commercial for a company that's going to run 50 different commercials that year you know mm, that makes sense man that's so cool actually to, to add to that you know Last week, I, I went to the premiere of Best Friends, which is Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero's new movie. And Greg Sestero reached out to me on on Facebook. Greg is, is the guy that plays Mark in the room. So everybody right. knows the line, oh, hi, Mark. Like, that's <laughs> him. And he reached out to me. on He messaged me on Facebook and he was like, hey, man, I love your stuff. Like, I love the song in the trailer. You know, I would love for you to come to the premiere. And I, once again, my mind was completely blown. Man. And I went to the premiere and um, went to the after party after that. And so I was hanging out with Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau and like all their friends. And it was like a dream, man. It was, but all of that coming from sync licensing stuff. Yeah. So, and now, um, you know, hopefully I, I get to work with them in some capacity, but in the future, I would love to just be involved with, you know, Greg's working on a new movie and he was, you know, I told him mm-hmm. I'd love to do the music for it. I'd love to help you out. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, but yeah, it, crazy opportunities come from, from stuff like that. And it's been, it's been a wild ride with that. For sure. If someone wants to get into sync licensing, uh, like say they're a good producer, they've, they've got good music. How would they go about doing that? And how complicated is the process? It's, not very complicated, honestly. Um, that's what I said. I wish I knew about it years ago. I wish I, I really wasn't aware and didn't have my eyes open to it until like late 2015 or maybe like mid 2015. And, you know, I started developing some, some stuff to put in some, some music libraries around like early 2016. And it takes, it takes a little time to get going and, and to, to kind of build your catalog and, make some stuff that you're really proud of and, and that's going to be up to par to, to uh, start generating some royalties that people want to use. But really just, if you do some research, uh, I'll throw a couple websites out there like right now, like the one that, that I've, that's done really well for me is the music bed and uh, the musicbed.com. They, they're one of the biggest ones. Um, now they're really hard to get on now. Uh, unless you have some kind of connection, but that is a, an example of, of a music licensing website. And it's really well set up. Another one's Marmoset. Um, mm. and there's pond five and there's audio jungle, um, jingle punks. Uh, you know, I've got a list. I could, I could just, I could just read it off, but, um, each website has a different community and they function in different ways. So, if you're pitching something, if you, if you want to start putting stuff on Pond Five, that might not be the right stuff or the right. You'd have to have a different approach if you're going Pond Five versus Musicbed. Um, right. So, right. Um, really, it's, it's just about doing your research and, and figuring out how these different websites work. But you know, it's very easy to start getting involved and start putting your stuff up there, and then um, a lot of them some of them are monthly, some of them are quarterly, some might be like biannually, um, you know, so you get, you you can get a royalty check like every three months or, um, every six months. Uh, but yeah, you know, after a while you, you start to see the, the money, you know, coming in and it's, it's just kind of surreal, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I spent so much time in the music industry, just, you know, grinding, 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 and then you get a check and then, um, to have some kind of passive income stream, just it, it's, it's unreal. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, you also teach at icon, which we haven't talked about yet. Yeah. How did you get the job? Why did you take it? And, and what exactly do you do at icon? Yeah. Uh, it's been, I've been there for almost a year now. I'm going on my fourth quarter there. Um, man, it has been an amazing experience. Uh, I've grown more than I could have imagined from it. Uh, basically how I got the job is, uh, you know, when I was touring, I did a Q and a there, uh, a few years ago and I met, uh, Nick Cherwink and he's one of the, he's been on the podcast. Oh, he has. Yeah. Nick's awesome. Yeah, Nick's, yeah. Nick is like, so cool. Nick's one of my good friends. He's, you know, one of the ambassadors for icon. And so I met Nick and I stayed in touch with him and, 
you know, we're friends on Facebook and like last like June or July, uh, he posted on Facebook. He said like, we're looking for new instructors at icon. Hit me up if you're, if you're interested. And I was like, man, that'd be cool. You know, I've always like had these fun thoughts of like, if I was a teacher, you know, you always think about like going back to school and like, you know, if you're a teacher, but I was like, I'll never be a teacher. Cause I'm, I'm not going to go to college for four years and get my teaching license and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, like I could be a teacher. And I, I love, this is like taking my YouTube channel to into real life. And so I hit him up and, um, you know, went in for an interview and it just worked out really well. And, and man, it's been super fun teaching there and, and, and being, you know, part of that, that process in real life, as opposed to like just doing, you know, YouTube tutorials and interacting and really feeling like mm -hmm. I'm having an impact on, these uh, aspiring creatives and aspiring producers um, careers. And the, the other thing is, is just that, you know, so much of what I do and so much of being a music producer, um, you're sitting at your desk by yourself or you're just in a room with like two or three other people. And so you kind of lack this sense of community sometimes, and it can be a very, um, very solo lifestyle. And I go into icon, you know, two days a week and, and I've, got all these kids that know me and, and other instructors and I'm part of like a, a bustling community. And, and that's been really fun. Uh, a great addition to, um, my life, not just creatively, but you know, socially. So, you know, one of the funny things about teaching is that the more that you teach a concept, the more that you understand it. <laughs> so like something like compression or, um, you know, I, t I teach studio tech. So we talk about how to use analog gear and, you know, how to dial in your compression settings and your gain and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the more that you talk about this stuff that sometimes like, it triggers like little side thoughts, like, Oh yeah. Like now that I'm explaining it like this, maybe I could apply it this way or, um, especially talking about different production techniques. And sometimes I'll be doing like a demo in class. Like I'll be like demonstrating like something about rhythm, like, and I'll be shifting MIDI notes around and I'll be like, Oh, that'd be really cool to put into a song. And just like on the fly, like it, it's a really cool thing. Um, so I, I, I've grown a lot as a producer and also, um, you know, as a person just being, you know, at the front of a classroom <laughs> for several hours a week. And uh, it, it's been, mm. it's been an awesome experience. I, I, I I really love it. Really, really love it. That's so cool. Uh, so I want to dive into some some production stuff now. Obviously, you produce a lot of music. You've, you're productive. What does your schedule look like? How do you output so much music consistently? Do you have any habits or systems that help you do that and, and stay creative? Yeah. What does my schedule look like is a, is a good question. It, it changes all the time. Um, mm. I mean, I have two days a week that I'm at Icon. And then I have five days between that, that I, that I do, you know, everything else. Um, so in those five days, it may be, uh, like I just finished a sample pack that I, that I'm really stoked about that I'm going to, um, probably be releasing soon. Uh, so I spent the last three days kind of doing that and other times it's working with, you know, an artist on, you know, mixing their stuff and maybe I may spend like two or three days in a row doing that it's kind of broken down into like into chunks essentially so mm. I, I hate juggling too many things at the same time i like to focus on one thing at a time um so if it's yeah well I'm, I'm i'm constantly juggling but it's really hard for me to switch gears like day after day like i'll be like okay i'm gonna work on you know this artist's music and they're going to come over for a couple of days in a row. We're going to knock that out like Tuesday through Friday. And then, you know, after that, like focus on something else. Uh, so it's not like a new thing every single day. I like to, I like to do it in, in chunks of stuff, but um, you know, it's been a while since I've, I've kind of worked on my own music and I've really been itching to do that. Um, and I'm really excited to get back to that. I've, I've been working with a lot of other artists on, on mixing their stuff and writing and kind of developing uh, in all sorts of ways. But yeah, that's, that's, just, it's, it's different all the time. It's different all the time. I like working like that too. Just kind of batching similar, similar things together or just working on one thing at a time consistently. Yeah. It feels so much better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
I get to, I'm very organized. And one of the things I couldn't live without is Evernote, the app. How do you use Evernote? I'm, I'm curious. Cause like everyone uses Evernote differently. Oh really? Yeah. I, I haven't talked to a whole a lot of other people about how they use it, but you know, I, I started using it about a year and a half ago and it's just, it's helped me. It's like my brain essentially. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, you know, like you said, like batching things and like, yeah, I like compartmentalize everything and Evernote helps me do that. So I like, I have my folder of, um, you know, my different artist projects and my different to-do lists and everything. And I have mm-hmm. my overall to-do list and I have a checklist and my grocery list and, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, just keeping that, that to-do list at the top, really that that's, that's the main thing. Yeah. So important. And it's like <laughs> what I've found and maybe you've, you've found differently, but a lot of artists, producers, creative people in general, they kind of ignore that stuff. They ignore trying to be organized. Yeah. Maybe sometimes because they think that it will uh, inhibit their creativity, which I think is absolutely a myth. Like I don't think putting systems in place restricts creativity at all. And if you look at the older composers and, and artists throughout history, like they had a consistent schedule. They were organized. Yeah. They weren't pulling like all nighters and drinking five Red Bulls every night. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was, I just had this vision of Mozart with a Red Bull in his hand. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're, you're hundred percent correct. And, uh, I think that's just, it's crucial, especially when you start to get into the business aspect of it too, because you have a lot of emails to, uh, reply to and, and a lot of things to stay on top of like with that. And, you know, you need to be professional and, and reply to people quickly. And sometimes things get lost in your inbox. So if you just, you have your to-do list, you have to say reply to this person, reply to this person. Um, and then like reminders as well. Cause you know, working on a lot of different projects. Um, and when you're your own boss, like, you know, you have your own company and you're like I do, um, you know, my own company like being myself and, and making music for whatever project I'm working on or whoever I'm working with, you're sending out a lot of invoices as well to people. And, um, sometimes a couple months go by and you, you don't get that check from that invoice. You got to follow up on that stuff and it's important not to lose track. And so you got to make a list and be organized. And that's, that's really, really, really crucial. Totally, man. Well, James, I've got a few more questions and we'll wrap this up. As a teacher, what do you find are the most common struggles that producers face? Yeah, let me, there, there's a few. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is younger producers focus more on, you know, the mixing and the mastering. And they are like, uh, at Icon, we do mentor sessions. So every student has a mentor for that quarter and you meet once a week with your mentor. And so I, I find a lot people come into mentor session and I'm like, okay, so what do you need help with? And they're like, oh, my, my mixing is just like, I can't get these synths to stand out or, or something. And I'll listen to their, their things. It's not, you're not, you're not ready to, to get to like mixing and mastering yet. Like you need to understand the basics of why this sounds like so muddy is because uh, your percussion and your, and your chords don't sound right. And people focusing on the sound design and everything before they have the, the musical knowledge and the basic um, understanding of, of how a baseline works or, or even like what key they're working in. Uh, you know, you got to know your, your, your major minor scale and your major minor chords really before you start, you know, getting super hardcore into sound design and everything. So I, you know, so many people have said this so many times, but yeah, you're just basic musical platform and, and, and having that is, uh, the fundamentals. That was the word I was looking for. The basic fundamentals are, are just so crucial. I, I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. I totally agree. It's like building a foundation for a house. That's how I see it. You're not going to finish the house or well, put a finish on the house before it's solid. Right. I'm, I've taught a lot as well. I talked to like a ton of new producers and it's, you're right. Like that is the most common thing. They're like, oh man, um, I still need to master this. Or like I'm struggling with mastering. It's like, dude, just write a song. Like actually right. focus on that first. Right. Learn how to write melodies. Learn how to 
arrange something so that a listener doesn't get bored while listening. Some of those old songs that came out in the 90s, like the old trance, not well mixed. You know, right. like you listen to them, you're like, oh, yeah. But they're still enjoyable to listen to because they're catchy or they tell a story. It's that's way more important. Right. No, absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, especially some of the stuff now. It's like, uh, the example I always use is, you know, XXX Tentacion or however you say his name with that look at me track. Uh, did that make it down there to, to New Zealand? Did you hear that at all? Uh, I probably have. Last I just, summer, it, I haven't linked it with a name. If somebody, if somebody were to bring that to me in a mentor session and say, like, I need help on this, or what do you think of this mix? I would say everything is wrong. <laughs> like, like, you you got to listen to the track afterwards, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with it. But it, you know, it was getting radio play last summer here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And now Extentacion is he's, he's like one of the biggest. Um, I, don't, I still don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but he's, he's one of the biggest acts right now. He's like one of the top artists on Spotify. Mm. And that track was, was a thing that set him over the top, but it, it sounds like a complete mess. Like, like it's clipping. Mm. Like you, like when, when the 808 comes in, it's like all distorted and like it put, like you can hear the limiter, like pushing his vocal down and the vocals like changing levels when the 808 hits. It's like, it's a complete mess, but it was a smash because of how raw it was and because of like the emotion behind it and, yeah. and just like the energy. It was just like, you know, the same way that like after the eighties, like when people heard Nirvana and it was like, you know, the whole grunge phase, like people have been hearing like processed music from disco and then like from the eighties and like synthesizers and everything. And, you know, they, they, they craved something that was raw and like untamed, like, like grunge. Mm. And we're, we're seeing the same thing now. So, it's, it's more about the idea and the energy that's behind it than having your mix completely flawless and completely perfect. And yeah, the other thing that, that I just remembered that, that I, I really want to stress to, to newer producers is, um, and I see this so often in, at, at Icon especially, is kids that come in and they, they, they want to make everything from scratch and they want to be like this, like, I'm like a super producer and I make all my snares from sine <laughs> waves and I make everything from scratch and it's you know focus on what you're good at and you know you don't need mm. to make your samples from scratch anymore like if you want to make a sample pack that's, that's great yeah it doesn't yeah. matter and you're literally like if you're trying to impress people you're literally impressing the point zero 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 one two three percent of the population that listens to music like only and but it seems like it's much bigger because those are the people that you're surrounded by especially icon like where it's just like a whole group of like yeah you know 200 producers that are all just like you know trying to impress each other and everything there's there's so many good samples out there you don't need to make your own snare um and and that's not to to crap on anybody who's going to make their own samples and you know make a living making sample packs or something like that but you know if if you're trying to be like especially if you're a new producer um there's people that are really great at sound design there's people that are really great at making it samples there's people that are really great at um making synth patches there's people that are really great at writing songs and focus on writing your song and your composition and everything and let the people that are really great at making samples like use their samples and um that is that's that's something that can really inhibit you as a producer is, is you get so caught up into, into, in the, the micro into the, the making your snare to the making your kick drum, making everything custom in, that you completely lose your flow of creativity and lose your flow of making a full song. And that, that's so big. Um, I, I mm. had the pleasure of getting dinner with Steve Duda a few months ago and he, he was, we were having the conversation as well. And, and talking about the same thing and that's so huge and, and people just get so caught up on that and for me especially and for several other producers that i'm friends with um that are very successful you know when we when we change our attitude into from being like an elitist like i'm gonna be the best at everything to focusing what you're good at and focusing what your strengths on it, it was a complete game changer i'm gonna say something that may be controversial, uh, but, and it may not even be true, but I think part of the reason people, you know, do sound design when they don't need to, or make snares out of sine waves, whatever. I honestly feel like it's a form of procrastination and perhaps fear of actually doing the important work as in, 
it could be a lot harder to learn songwriting, make a good song, much easier to, to like, oh yeah, I need to learn sound design or I need to do this. And that's a great way to kind of draw attention away from what you need to do, which is write music. So it seems to me like an avoidance tactic. And I'm generalizing, but in a lot of cases. And at the end of the day, like if your goal is to, I don't know, produce music for pop artists, learning sound design is not the most important thing you can do. Not at all. Like it's just not. Um, and the reason I say that, by the way, what I just said is because I, that's what I did. Like, I, I need to learn sound design instead of just what I knew I needed to do, which was write better music and just like put my head down um, and stop talking about how I was learning sound design. Yep. There, there's everything's kind of been done already. You're not going to blow somebody yeah. away with your crazy bass sound. Like we've already heard the craziest stuff. <laughs> um, so that's not something that's going to, you know, in 2013, yeah, you could like blow people away with sound design, but there's just nothing that's going to blow people's minds. Like maybe you'll blow your producer friends and they'll be like, what? Like, how did, how did you do that? But like the average listener, like they're not going to, your sound design and, and your, you know, sonic power isn't going to do anything for them. And that, that's the, that's so crucial to, focus more on the composition and less on the, the micro sound design details. Well, especially because I was talking to a, a guy the other day goes by Saturn. Um, but we were kind of talking about the fact that in 2011, 2012, you had big room dubstep and like a lot of like tracks, you know, six minute long, you could have club mixes, blah, blah, blah. Nowadays it's all about Spotify and, it's all about songwriting and it's all about creating a song that people will listen to all the way through. Like that's what you want right. to be doing. Um, and no one, like no one really cares about we've talked about this. No one really cares about sound design or anything. They want to hear something that, um, can apply or that they can understand. Right. For one, I think the whole dubstep thing, you know, cause I remember being, I was still in high school when dubstep was like a big thing and it was always like, you felt good when you came across a song that had a huge drop and you could like shot to your friends. You're like, I, I'm the one who found this right. song, you know, like, isn't this massive? And that was awesome. Um, but like that feels like it, that's kind of gone now. We, we've moved it. on to something else. Everyone's already heard. Like that's what I said. It's like, it, you're not going to blow somebody away by like some heavy drops. Like it's been done. No. It, it's been played out. And that, you know, you, like, like what you're saying before, like Spotify and everything, um, any producers that are listening, like if you're not making, you need to make songs. And what I mean by that is something that you can walk away from and be able to sing or hum in your head or remember at when you're not listening to it. Because if you're just making like sound design over like a dubstep beat or like uh, a bass house beat or something, that's not a song that is sound design over a beat. And you need to have something memorable, like a motif or something. Um, now I'm getting into like arrangement class. So, <laughs> uh, you know, something that, that's, that you can sing back when you're not, if, if there's nothing about your drop or anything in your song that you can sing back when you're not listening to it, it's, it's not memorable and it's not going to be something that's going to, yeah, maybe it's well-produced and it gets a, you know, 40,000, 50,000, 100,000 plays on SoundCloud, but that's not going to do anything for your your career. Um, if you're looking to have a career yeah. now, if you're looking to just have some fun and, you know, throw up some stuff on SoundCloud, yeah, go for it. Like, but if you're really looking to advance your career in the music industry and develop a fan base, you have to write songs, have to write songs, have to, totally you know, agree. and learn how to work with vocalists as well. That's such, so like, that's so crucial. That's an area a lot of people struggle with, actually. I get a ton of questions about that. How to find vocalists, how to work with them. Yeah, there's, you know, there's nothing better than working with somebody face to face. But, you know, there's, you know, find somebody online. You know, you hear somebody on a SoundCloud track, like hit them up and and see if they want to work. Um, there's nothing better than working with someone face to face, though. I, I can't stress that enough. And especially when you're, you have, you're writing with somebody. But, even if it doesn't work out well, like it, it can be nerve wracking. Like I, I can imagine so many producers 
out there that are new and they they didn't grow up playing in bands or something like that like for me it was just very natural like i grew up playing and sitting with acoustic guitar and you know with people and practicing songs practicing cover songs to, to play at parties with my friends or whatever yeah I, I imagine for a lot of producers out there that that just spend most of their time in front of the computer uh it can be really hard to you know reach out and work with somebody in real life like a vocalist and doing something like songwriting but it's really important to develop that skill mm. it's really really important and to be able to work with somebody and and figure out melodies and figure out the delivery and everything when it comes to recording that so that's really and it's it's taking those risks and doing that going the extra mile that's going to make your music stand out as opposed to everyone else who's just making a beat and making some some song and, and then throwing it up on soundcloud you know there, there's so many songs that aren't the best produced song not don't have the heaviest drop not mixed and mastered you know perfectly but they got a catchy ass vocal line in there and that's what keeps people coming back and those songs will always outperform you know something that just has great sound design and heavy drop 100 percent, 100 percent. great advice uh well james it's been fantastic having you on i've got two more questions for you the first is what is coming up for you in the next say zero to 12 months like i said i've been working with a lot of different artists um and then now I'm really excited to work on, on my own stuff. So going to be doing some more for my uh, Ace Marino project, the, the synth wave thing. Going to be doing some more for my like chill project, the Lux Pacific thing. Um, and I'm really excited to, you know, just take a break on working on everybody else's stuff and just focus on that. And I just made this sample pack, which I'm going to be, you know, really drawing heavily from when it comes to, to making, um, some of this new material and th those are the those are the two main focuses and i'm sure some other projects will pop up here and there that that i'll be working on and some other people that will hit me up and you know i'll get involved in some things but yeah i'm just really excited to, to work on that and of course you know teaching we have the our, the spring quarter starting and uh actually starts today i i teach on wednesdays and thursdays but i will be heading in and excited to get started on a new quarter on Wednesday. So, yeah. Love it. Love it. And uh, finally, a lot of people hate this question, but I always ask it. You're walking down the streets of LA and along comes a UFO. Okay. And they're going to abduct you. And But they say before they do that, they give you a piece of paper and a pen and they say, you can write down three pieces of advice for humankind or if you want to make it easier, just producers. Um, then they take you away. What is on that piece of paper? Number one will be find what you're passionate about. If if you don't have passion or something that's driving you, I think you're just at a loss from the start. Like if your if your passion is just to if if your goal is just to make money, then you're setting yourself up for not being happy. So you have to find what you're passionate about. That that's really my biggest piece of advice um, is follow your passion and really the, the rest will come with it. There's, there's enough ways, there's enough ways in this world. Now there's enough people that are into niche activities and um, things of interest that, that you'll be able to, to find a way to monetize what you're passionate about and find a community within that. Um, trying to think of, of two and three, but that's, that's really kind of like one of the overarching themes in my life is, is just living with passion and, and don't be afraid to take risks, take risks. And if you never take risks and if you live safely, you'll, you'll never see the rewards. Okay. And then that, that, and I have a third one too. So we're going to, we're going to get through all three. So live passionately, take risks. And then number three, is to travel. If, if you never get outside of where you grew up, if you never see another culture, if you never experience things from a different perspective and talk to people from uh, that grew up in a different part of the world or a different part of the country than you, you'll see things very one-dimensionally. And almost every artist and creative that I that I know will agree that there's like the benefits of, of traveling 
just opening up, opening you up creatively. Um, even if you're not a creative, this just goes to everybody for the aliens to send this message to, um, (laughs) (laughs) traveling is just, and just seeing things from, from more than one perspective is absolutely a necessity for having an open mind and, and finding happiness and being able to be a better human in general.